Nate, you got that guy with the uh, travel agency? Right here, Jason Fry, meet Michael Morris. Hey guys, I hear you need to uh, travel the galaxy, been having some trouble and whatnot. Can I help? Well, yeah, so what we're just really wanting to do a brochure for the casino, just so that everybody knows, you know, there's Cloud City, there's a few casinos around and stuff like that, and we just want to show everybody that we're the premier casino. Uh, I mean, you ever done anything like that? Well, I don't know about casinos, but I know about deserts. Have you ever been to Jakku? Jakku, the junkyard? Junkyard. You, you know, some people see junkyard. I see untapped possibilities. I've been there. I can tell you all about that place. It's a place you can uh, survive if you play your cards right, so to speak. Of course, it's also a place where Unkar Pud is considered handsome, right? Yeah, well, you know, that can be an advantage, too. Work looks pretty good. Uh, what are you thinking about charging here? Like, what's what's your cut? Um, half portion. It's expensive. You know what? That sounds strangely fair. All right. I'm glad you didn't try to uh, offer me Imperial credits or Wapui. Enjoy your stay. What have we here? I suggest a new strategy. You really belong here with us, fucking club. Don't get excited. Welcome, scoundrels, to Cloud City Casino, your destination for collecting and gaming. We are currently. 275 days away from Rogue One. So in the meantime, we'll go ahead and talk about the collecting and gaming side of things. And I am, am Michael Morse, and with me, Nathan Butler. What's going on, everybody? We got several things to hit today. Do you want to go ahead and just jump into our main topic? Sure. What's our main topic? Madness. Okay, that's that's more of, of a, a podcasting style, but what's our main topic? <laughs> it's true. It's, it's a style that I often try to stick with. Uh, so it's the uh, Star Wars This Is Madness Star Wars Character Tournament. It's the 2016 edition. Ah, though there is madness, yet there is method in it. See, I can go from sounding like a complete idiot to quoting Shakespeare. It's just how I roll, <laughs> uh, BB-8 style. I got to be honest with you. I've never really paid that much attention to This Is Madness. I pay about as much attention to it as I do to March Madness, although coming from Indiana, that's probably blasphemous not to at least be rooting for IU or Purdue or, or Notre Dame or someone. But I look at this, this set of brackets and I look at the instructions they've got on the website on how this is supposed to work. You know, there will be voting and you'll choose between characters and then they'll keep going. And you go basically down to like a sweet 16, an elite eight, a final four and then a final championship matchup. And and last year, Darth Vader got it and all this kind of stuff. And I'm still sitting back going, are we supposed to be voting for our favorites or who we think would whoop the other one? Because they never really make that clear, you know, at all. It's it's kind of like if we were trying to set up brackets for the NCAA, but they weren't telling us whether they were playing basketball or poker. Well, Nate, the answer is yes. Well, that cleared everything up. <laughs> it is it is kind of confusing. You're like, okay, if I want to do this and I want to do it as fairly as possible, um, the problem becomes that you may want to do that. But then you've always got that one guy who's going to go, nah, screw it. I'm 14 years old and I'm hilarious. And they're just going to jack with everything. Uh, so you're saying it could turn out like the current presidential race? Yeah, basically. I think they just said, you know what? The, the not standards, but uh, oh, what's the word I'm going for? The, the not requirements. 
Qualifications? No, like it's like you pick your own sort of. Uh... You don't have to have reasons or you don't have to have specific reasons as long as you have a reason. And even then, that's kind of iffy. Yeah, yeah, I think it, yeah, I think it's kind of along those lines. It's it's pretty much just you know what what if you want it to be who wins in a fight, cool. If you want it to be who has the nicest hair, fine. Because which one gets to be on top? <laughs> no, no. That's, I mean, I mean, which one comes out on top? Which one wins? Yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> I don't know what you're <laughs> thinking, but that's what I meant. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. All right, edit point. There. No, I'm just kidding. And and here's a prime example. Last year. Jar Jar was in it, and Jar Jar was like really making his way through, not because Jar Jar is way more popular than than what you know a lot of people think, and and it's like oh well he is actually kind of popular. No, it's because there was a specific Reddit movement that was like hey guys let's go jack up the internet because a lot of times the internet just says let's go jack up the internet. Wow. It really is like the current presidential race. <laughs> basically, basically. So, and I'm, but I'm asking, though, because there's there's a contest angle to this going through Wikipedia where it's very much like the NCAA. And if you get uh, the most accurate of the brackets, you can get some prizes out of it. And it's kind of hard to predict the brackets when there's no actual objective criteria that people are supposed to be using to be able to make the decisions. So it's not like you're looking at the win-loss record of a team compared to another team and using that to try to figure out which one you think is going to win. It's basically, which button do you think people will click? 50-50 <laughs> chance down the middle. That's, I, it's Cloud City Casino. We're used to long odds, but this is pretty long odds to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear you, but I gotta say... That I think otherwise, it completely throws it in the other direction. Where it becomes too obvious where it's, right. you know, who's going to go. Okay, right. I, so. I'll take that. So we got them divided here into light side and dark side, just like different conferences and whatnot, and depending on which sport you're looking at. Some interesting pairings here and some interesting new characters added in this time around. How do we want to look at these uh, for those who aren't looking at this right in front of them? So you want to just go down the uh, the light side first? Sure. Okay. Sure. So we have our our first pairing would be Obi-Wan Kenobi. And this is, I don't know if it matters. Uh, I guess it does kind of matter because in the uh, year before last, I believe Obi-Wan won, but it was Old Ben. So this is the uh, Revenge of the Sith Obi-Wan Kenobi, if that matters to you, versus Padme. So Obi-Wan paired up with Padme, which is what we all thought was going to be what would help push Anakin to the dark side. And it turns out it had nothing to do with it um, back, you know, before the prequels actually came around and we were all theorizing what could cause the rift between the two. Nice, nice pairing. Um, the next pair that we have here is an uh, kind of an odd pairing, but characters that have both appeared on a show together, at least. We have R2-D2 and it's, you know, R2-D2 in the... R2-D2 form. Uh, there's no indication of which <laughs> film. And uh, Sabine Wren from Star Wars Rebels. And that's the season two, Sabine Wren. Once again, Is it? I can't matters. hardly see the hair, so really. So she's got the solid blue, um, which I, I think she's got a couple of shades in it in season two, but it's, it's all blue, where she kind of had some orange in uh, season one. I'll take your word for it. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know there was a hair difference, but right. I don't pay that much attention to right. the hair difference. I think this one is, honestly, this one's a l little bit closer, trying to figure out, okay, which one is, is going to win out on this one right in this bracket here? 
uh, for me. I think I think the first one is really easy. I I don't think mm-hmm. that it's it's uh, hard at all. But then you get to this one, and I'm like, that's a little trickier. Uh, and I think same thing for our next one. It's Luke Skywalker versus Hera. And I think this is where, to me, the way that these wind up being fit together, it really feels like in some respects, not always, but in some respects, they're basically asking you to choose which do you prefer, old Star Wars or new Disney Star Wars, over and over and over again. (laughs) And I think that that is likely to skew things either way. Not only do you have the fact that you have live action film characters constantly paired up against animated characters, which may wind up being skewed if you have more of a younger audience voting versus an adult audience. Um, Although I still watch the cartoons and love them. (laughs) But here, I mean, really, we've got R2 versus Sabine. We've got Luke versus Hera. We're going to wind up seeing Yoda versus Finn, Ahsoka and BB-8, which isn't exactly that dynamic and so on and so on. It just seems like I don't know. You would think that you would pair someone up against someone who is somehow demographically similar, at least for this first bracket, so that it can feel as though everybody's starting on somewhat of an even chance of being able to make it past the first round of brackets, at least in my eyes. Uh, But the next one Mm -hmm. is, wow, we're talking about splitting the baby down the middle. We are going to have to pick our favorite Millennium Falcon uh, crew member from the original trilogy. It's Han Solo or Chewbacca. You know, you know that Chewbacca would just let himself lose and throw it to Han because of the whole life debt thing. Yeah. So, and then you said uh, Yoda and Finn already, Ahsoka and BB-8. And then uh, did we get down to Rey and Ezra? No, that's a new one. Rey versus Ezra. That's, that's an interesting pairing. There's not a lot that those two have in common other than the uh, the force sensitivity. So that'll be an interesting one to see pan out. And then we have another uh, somewhat unusual, and, and I guess we should say, going back, uh, the Yoda that it shows is prequel CGI Yoda. The Ahsoka that it shows is Rebels-era Ahsoka, if that makes a difference. Ezra, I can't tell from here on this screen whether or not he has the scar. I think it would be mm-hmm. on the other side of his face anyway. Um, so we got... Ezra from either season one or season two. And then we have Empire Strikes Back era Leia Mm -hmm. versus Poe Dameron. Yeah. That's that's heavy country. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. That's there. 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 That sure is them. Which again also (laughs) falls into the, you know, maybe we're going to have a push of a lot of people going to the site brought in because of The Force Awakens. And you might have a skewing that direction. Uh, How about the dark side? All right, so uh, first one is another one I think is super easy. Uh, Vader versus the fifth brother. And if you go, who? So does everyone else who's seen the show. Uh, Rebels. Oh, people know people know the fifth brother. They know the fifth brother. They know the seventh sister. It's just that they may not realize that's what they're called, but they would recognize them. It's one's the big lumbering brute looking inquisitor, and the other one is... Sarah Michelle Geller Inquisitor with the funny voice. Yeah, I just I was just making a, a comment about the fact that the fifth brother's been pretty lackluster and forgettable. I think the seventh sister's been really cool, and that seems yeah to he's be- been kind of he oh, oh, excuse me <laughs> he's been yeah <laughs> oh, I just heard a droid in there, there. You go. Uh, yeah yeah he, uh, he hasn't been all that great <laughs> that's right so. Uh, yeah, people really seem to be taking with the seventh sister, fifth brother, v- not so much. 
Which, of course, brings up the next one, which is the seventh sister herself up mm-hmm. against Jabba the Hutt. Yeah. And then we have uh, Palpatine and Ventress. Again, slash fiction that you really don't want to read. Um, after which we have the, the pairing of Darth Maul and Tarkin. And this is a New Hope era Tarkin. Oh, and I guess we should say that for Palpatine, they're showing us turned all wrinkly by the force and revenge of the Sith Palpatine, not turned all wrinkly by the force and still looks cool Palpatine from Return of the Jedi, if that matters to anyone. And Darth Maul is Phantom Menace Darth Maul, not animated Darth Maul. That's right. And there, there's a lot of incarnations of these characters. Right, right. Yeah, because that's what I was realizing. And like I said, and if someone's thinking like, okay, I get it. It's just the character. But because the characters have kind of differed so much, this might matter to someone for whatever reason that they're picking, you know? Uh, because like I said with Obi-Wan, uh, they may think of Ewan McGregor Obi-Wan totally separate from the Alec Guinness Obi-Wan. So. Ha- have they put different versions of the same character together in matchups before? Not that I'm aware of. Well, uh, then we may be splitting hairs, but they're good hairs sure. to be split. Well, yeah, because like I said, who knows how people are going to be uh, going for this. But uh, the next one is one that I... Ooh, it's rough. The uh, Kylo Ren versus Jango Fett. Oh, yeah. That's real rough. One of them is a very complex, very cool psychological character. The other one was a template for clones who did Jack except get his head cut off. I think I can figure that one out. I love Jango Fett so much. Oh, oh, I'm sad. (laughs) The next matchup, we have a couple of uh, people with titles here. We have Count Dooku (laughs) and Captain Phasma. Um... I'm hoping that Captain Phasma can be judged based on her appearances outside of The Force Awakens because she barely got to do anything in it. Well, I mean, she was completely in charge of all the soldiers, so she could command them against Dooku, I guess, if this was a fight. True. Well, and have you read the novelization or either the adult or junior novelization to find out what happens to Captain Phasma after they force her to bring the shields down? I am not quite there. I'm a little bit behind, and so I haven't read that. So I, have, I have no idea. Can I say then? Yeah, I mean, I don't care. Yeah, uh, they toss her in a trash compactor a la A New Hope. Yeah, well, I mean... Presumably I, she's still alive, but they yeah. toss her in a trash bin. So nice uh, uh, heroic end there for Captain Phasma. Well, speaking, of, spe- speaking of people with lame ends in <laughs> canon... <laughs> talking about the Boba Fett versus General Hux? Yes, yes. Boba Fett versus General Hux. Uh, I'm still waiting to get a first name for this General Hux, given that we have another General Hux in Servants of the Empire. But this is uh, Boba Fett in the armor, original trilogy Boba Fett here. And of course, General Hux from The Force Awakens, not his father um, from elsewhere. Right. I think his first name is Theodore. I don't know. With Alvin and Simon being his uh, his brother's raised up within the empire that leaves <laughs> the last pairing which is general grievous versus agent callus two mustache twirling villains uh in cartoon series that frequently get themselves defeated but i think after some of the recent episodes of rebels i think this is probably going to wind up for those who have seen rebels being a fairly easy choice uh possibly this was one that i kind of did so just to go ahead and say, I've already done the bracket for the competition. The way that I did it was not picking my favorites, but I picked who I felt would win essentially in a popularity contest going from, right. from bracket to bracket. So uh, in that regard, I actually picked Grievous over Callus. 
Man. Yeah, I mean, from a just from a recognizability standpoint mm-hmm. of it, you will probably have some fans who will get on there who have no problem visiting a site and taking part in what amounts to basically a quasi-parody sporting event for fictional characters, but they would never lower themselves to voting for a cartoon character. <laughs> well, I mean, even I mean, even looking at uh, the Clone Wars, you know, uh, Grievous was way cooler in the Clone Wars than he was in in the uh, Revenge of the Sith. He was way cooler in the Gindy Tartakovsky Clone Wars. He was a mustache twirling idiot who always lost and ran the hell away in the Clone Wars and in Revenge of the Sith. I easily prefer him more from from the Gindy. <laughs> I liked him. I did like him a little better from the the cartoon though than than the film. I felt like he was a little more sidious. Uh, in in, in cities? There cities? we go. <laughs> now, Stupid Star must, Wars taking I all the... Maul, I guess like mauling people. So he's Darth Maul. Sorry. Uh, uh, well, then coming from the man who said that uh, at one point he wanted to have a Sith Lord character. I think it was in The Force Unleashed. It may have even been Starkiller, whose name was going to be, I kid you not, Darth Icky. That's what he wanted him called. No, George, stop naming stuff. You want to call it Moraband instead of Coraband just because you like the way it sounds, but you want it to be your name? You know what? You run the franchise. It's stupid, but knock yourself out. But let's try to stay away from stuff like Darth Icky. Though The question I was going to bring up is if we are talking about the idea of cartoon characters, though, right, right of Callus versus someone else, mm-hmm. for instance, like and from Clone Wars and Rebels, um, I would argue that you could almost count General Grievous as a cartoon character entirely because he was a pure <laughs> CG character. He, Jar Jar, Boss Nast, they are effectively cartoon characters mixed in with live action. They are the Star Wars equivalent when it really gets heavy CG of who framed Roger Rabbit. Yep. Who framed Jango Fett? <laughs> so do you want to start filling these brackets out? And if so, do you want to go with your favorite or do you want to try to predict who you think will, will advance to the next round? I plan on probably filling them out to submit them, but... And I, I think it'll be interesting to analyze what decisions are made as the process goes along. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if we want to necessarily toss out our picks because I haven't had a chance to really give too much thought to these. Okay, so um, and for everyone listening, it uh, it will be too late by the time you hear this. It would have been yesterday that it would have closed on uh, Monday. So today's Tuesday, already over, unfortunately. But you will be able to actually take part in uh, the deciding. And like I said, based on your own. Uh, requirements of, of how however you think to, to advance them. So you said you just want to do your picks then? You don't want to try to guess through? or? Well, I, I guess I can, I, can, I can toss out some guesses. I don't know how accurate we're going to be. Um, okay. I, I'll, I'll run fast and you can run too fast perhaps. I would say um, Obi-Wan and Padme, I'd say Obi-Wan, R2 and Sabine, I'd say R2. Uh, Luke and Hera, I would say Luke. Um, Han and Chewie, I'd say Han. Uh, Yoda and Finn, that's going to be close, but I would probably say Yoda, Ahsoka Tano, and BB-8, BB-8, um, just because of the audience concept here. Uh, Ray and Ezra Bidger, probably Ray. Uh, Leia Organa, Poe Dameron, probably Leia. Uh, Vader, fifth brother, Vader, seventh sister, Jabba the Hutt. That's a closer one. I would probably say Jabba. Um, I, I'm tending to err on the side of live action. Mm-hmm. Um, Palpatine versus Ventress. Hmm. Probably Palpatine. Um, not everybody's read Dark Disciple. Uh, Darth Maul and Tarkin, probably Darth Maul of those two as far as far as public response would be. Uh, Jango Fett, Kylo Ren, probably Kylo Ren. Captain uh, or Count Dooku, Captain Phasma, probably Dooku, I would think. 
uh, Fett and Hux, probably Fett, uh, Grievous and Callus for fandom at large, probably Grievous. I'll go ahead and I'll hit mine up then. So I think Obi-Wan beats Padme. I, I don't even think that's a competition. I, the next one I think is a little bit harder. R2 versus Sabine. Um, I know a lot of older fans seem to not care for Sabine as much, but a lot of the younger fans, especially girls, really like Sabine. Um, so, Do you think there's enough of a cartoon-watching audience rel- that's going to be visiting the site to do this relative to film-focused audience, those who haven't bothered to touch Rebels at all. That's that's why I tended to steer clear of the Rebel stuff quite a bit because, I mean, we can expect a lot of people mm-hmm. to have seen and still be excited about The Force Awakens, but Rebels, I know a lot of people who, as good as Rebels is, have still never even seen it. That's true, but like I said, it, it very well may be your demographic. And, I, and I'll tell you for the next one, uh, I'll explain. Uh, so I think R2 is going to win against Sabine. I think he may just barely edge out Sabine. The next one is Luke versus Hera. I'm actually going to go Hera. Um, I'm not sure if it was last year or the year before, Ahsoka actually beat Luke. So, hmm. so yeah, so I, I think I think that the cartoon viewership uh, is definitely represented in, in who's picking these. Um, next, I, I, I do think Han beats out Chewie. I think Yoda beats out uh, Finn. The I think this may be the hardest one out of the entire bracket, Ahsoka versus BB-8. I, I think that is easily the hardest, most unpredictable one on here. I'm going to go with BB-8, but that is, that's rough to not, to basically say that one of these characters will not make it past the first round. That was you know, strange. And- and we are coming up to the end of season two of of Rebels, which includes Twilight of the Apprentice, I believe it's called, uh, as the last pair of episodes, which makes me wonder, given the fact that this voting will be going on throughout March, um, how the, the buildup and airing of those last handful of episodes of Rebels might affect voting as we get to those later brackets. Right. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're very well uh, could be correct. Um, but we'll, we'll see. I don't think it's going to help Callus. I think Callus is going out in the first round. When uh, I'll mention that in a second. But uh, so here, I think Ray easily beats out Ezra. I just don't think Ezra's got that big of a following, even among the uh, the watchers of Rebels. And big I, of a nose, though. Plenty big of a nose. <laughs> and I actually differ from you on the uh, Poe versus Leia. People freaking love Poe for some reason. I mean, not. I don't want to say for some reason. I think he's, he's awesome, too. I'm just not sure that he can beat out Leia in in, in something. Again, I, I, I'm trying to, to focus in on you know, where I think that the, their mindset is. I think that there is enough of a division out there between the I love Force Awakens and Force Awakens can go burn, Disney can go burn, Lucas comeback crowd. Right. That I think that Leia's probably going to have more of like a piling on effect than Poe will. There's more people wanting to protect the OT era and protect the pre The Force Awakens era than there are wanting to protect The Force Awakens, I think. Uh, I, I disagree with that. I, th- I think, and, and you, you might be right, but I think that may just be kind of more from coming more from your perspective uh just because i think you see those people a lot more dealing with the um a lot of the novelizations and things mm-hmm. uh i i th- i think that that may be kind of what's making you think that's the case because i think that as a whole um 
the that the Force Away. I mean, obviously, the Force Awakens was extremely successful, and uh, like I said, people have really freaking taken to Poe. So that that's who I'm gonna go with. Uh, once getting him over to the dark side, Vader versus fifth brother. Fifth who? <laughs> you know, Vader takes him all day long. Uh, I actually, I think I'm going to go, this was a hard one, but I think I'm going to go with seventh sister over Jabba. Um, it's tough, but that's who, who I was going to go with. Uh, I think you're right. Palpatine beats out uh, Ventress. Maul easily beats out Tarkin. Um, Kylo, I think, I think does easily beat out... Django, and then I would have I would actually have Phasma beat out uh, Dooku because there are still plenty of people who like Phasma just based on her look, and I think Boba Fett beats out Hux, and I think that uh, Grievous is going to take Callus. I think Callus, if this would have come later, I think Callus is in a good place to become a cool character by the end of Rebels, but I think thus far he's not really shown anything. Uh, to, to say, hey, I I think that um that he sh- he should advance to the next round. I think voting for Callus for those who are really disappointed of how Grievous worked out in the Clone Wars and how Grievous to some extent played out in Revenge of the Sith. I think Callus would kind of be like the uh anybody but Trump or anybody but Hillary kind of <laughs> voting. The the I don't know who this Callus guy is, but screw Grievous kind of voting. Right, maybe. So you chose Obi Wan and R two. Who who do you think would win out? In those for the uh, second round. Yeesh. Uh, <laughs> I'm probably of those two fandom voting. I think I'm going to go with Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan, okay. And then uh, you've got Luke versus Han. I think Han's going to get it. He's going to get a big sympathy vote because he's, you know. <laughs> Stabbed. Stabbed, cut, but <laughs> but thanks to the junior novelization, we know what his final thoughts were, and it was even more touching than than the way that certain aspects played out. So be sure to read the junior novelization's uh, depiction of that scene. Then we got who? Uh, Yoda and BB-8. Oh, for <laughs> my wife's favorites. Um, <sighs> I'm gonna go with Yoda. I think that both of them are, would have a pretty heavy following, but I uh-huh. think Yoda is going to edge it out because he'll get the votes that people who are trying to steer clear of the Force Awakens and Disney will avoid. Okay, I'm going to go Yoda. Ray versus Leia. Ray. All right. I think she's got the popularity now. Which you could say the same thing for BB-8, but Yoda's insanely popular at this point. I think yeah. Leia is sort of plateaued to some extent. Vader versus Jabba. Vader. And uh, Palpatine versus Maul. I'm probably going to go with Maul. He's still got a pretty heavy fan following, and he is, I believe, slated to appear later this season in Rebels while the voting's going on. Okay. Uh, Ren versus Dooku. Ren. And Fett versus Grievous. (laughs) Fett. (laughs) Okay. All right, man. You know, I mean, I I pretty much fall with you uh, all the way through there. I would have picked the same ones. I, I can't remember, though, if I went BB-8 versus um, Yoda or not, who ended up advancing in that one, but I think, I think, I, I think I'm going to edge it to, to BB-8, honestly. 
I think that's where I would go with that. Let's go ahead and put a pin in that, and we'll come back to our round three next week. In the meantime, let's head on over to the VIP section where Star Wars writer Jason Fry is waiting, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about some of the stuff he's working on. I'm looking forward to having some real talk with some real folks. All right, so we've got a great interview here. And uh, helping us out this week will be, I guess, our interviewee. Is that a word, Nate? Yeah, interviewee is a word, yes. Cool. So that thing. And uh, we have with us Jason Fry. How's it going, man? Good. How are you guys? Doing pretty good. Uh, Learning how to survive on Jakku. I still (laughs) don't think I have what it takes. Then again, you know, for what it's worth, he doesn't necessarily have what it takes to survive in the Atlanta area sometimes either. So it's okay. That's true. I stay clear of the the metro area as much as possible. So we want to talk about some of the works that you've been putting out very recently, but I think kind of a big picture might be a good place to start. Um, Jason, when you and I first met, um, when you were working on the Essential Atlas, it it struck me at the time that sort of you kind of, at least in some sense, for those who weren't really following, you know, the the RPG and whatnot and following the magazines, for those who were really focused on the comics, novels and such, it sort of seemed like you sort of came almost out of nowhere and just made this huge splash when it came to these really in-depth uh, guidebooks, kind of in the veins of Pablo Hidalgo and Dan Wallace, who, of course, you worked with, with uh, on – the essential atlas. And now it seems like with the shift from Lucasfilm being an independent entity to being under Disney, it seems as though what we're seeing is that you've moved into much more prose fiction, still doing some guidebooks, but now writing things like servants of the empire and whatnot. I'm curious uh, as to what made that transition happen. Was it just your, just a sort of a career progression. You got to start writing some prose fiction and found that that's where you wanted to go with it. Was it something that was their choice? How did that transition happen? I always wanted to write fiction and that's what I wanted to do uh, from the start. And with the exception of, uh, there was a, a short story I wrote that, that shut up on a hyperspace, uh, deader than a Triton moon, which is itself deader than a Triton moon. Um, unless it's on the way back machine somewhere. Um, you know, with that exception, as a, a relatively new writer, um, you know, it's hard to just kind of leap in and, and do fiction. So, I mean, I really got my start working for The Insider and um, and uh, doing some stuff for uh, Star Wars Gamer, which existed for a while to support the uh, RPG, and contributing to a couple of uh, RPG books uh, for Wizards of the Coast. But um, I mean, it was Star Wars, and you know, for a lifelong fan, that was whatever the format I wound up writing—be it a, you know, a guidebook or a gamer article or The Insider or anything else—I was just thrilled to do it, um, having been a fan, you know, virtually all my life. Um, and then, you know, it was—it was kind of a race to see what my first non-RPG book would be. Uh, it wound up being the Clone Wars uh, visual guide, um, which DK had approached me about doing. Um, but Dan Wallace and I, had, yeah, had cooked up the Essential Atlas because we both had this lifelong dorky obsession with Star Wars geography, and we 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 essentially just bugged Del Rey again and again and again and again until I I think they decided to let us do this book just so we'd leave them alone. Um, and uh, the Atlas actually was originally slated to come out 
I think maybe even a year earlier than it did. But what happened was it got stuck behind uh, the three-volume Star Wars encyclopedia, uh, which was just this gigantic undertaking. And, like, you know, um, took this you know huge team of writers, Steve, Pablo, and, and I think Dan was on that too, um, Bob Vitas, a lot of people. Um, and, you know, took this also just this massive uh, editorial and art effort. So we wound up getting uh, delayed repeatedly because of that. But that was actually a good thing because we used the time to we were able to, you know, do even more with the art. And we wound up being able to incorporate things like, uh, some of the Clone Wars and and Mandalore, which was just um, the Mandalorian lore that was just coming out. Um, so that delay, actually, though it was you know it was um, it was not my favorite thing at the time because I wanted this book to come out so badly, but it wound up uh, not being a terrible thing. We got to do a lot more, uh, and then you know I eventually I just I kept doing guidebooks and everything else, and eventually got to move into uh, adapting some Clone Wars episodes and then uh, some insider short stories and then uh, fiction with things like servants of the empire but uh, as long as it's star wars um, i'm i'm pretty thrilled to do it i i can tell because (laughs) i was going through when i was looking uh because we'd actually talked earlier and uh i was like well let me see what i have of his and i was like Oh my gosh! I've got this. I've got this. I've got this. So, <laughs> you you've written a ton since then. Yeah. No. It's um. I'm yeah. I'm very grateful for it. But yeah, I've had. Mm-hmm. I've been lucky enough to have a lot of opportunities recently, and now I mean, this is just just such a rich time for Star Wars uh, storytelling. Whether you're talking, um, you know, the comics, whether you're talking. Uh, novels, whether you're talking TV or, of course, you know, getting a movie every year. That there's just mm-hmm. there's just so many, I mean, amazing possibilities uh, to pursue. And you know, I feel I feel very lucky to be able to be part of that as a writer. But you know, if I wasn't writing, I'd feel very lucky to be part of it as a a reader viewer because it's I don't know, it's just so much fun right now. I'm curious with, uh, and I think about this in terms of you know servants of the empire and all these things that you're taking on recently. I mean, guidebooks and short fiction and full length fiction, just just constantly uh, seeing your name contributing to this new canon and all. I think of that sort of you know the dog that won't let go of the bone, and I th- <laughs> and I think that goes all the way back to the essential atlas because you guys followed that up over and over again with these extensions and appendices was the idea of extending that online. Was that something that they approached you about or you guys just had that passion for it and you wanted to just keep doing it? Uh, it was something I wanted. Um, I wanted really badly. I had come out, I was, I had come out of a, a career as a online journalist. I worked for the online arm, uh, the wall street journal um, you know, covering technology, being a columnist, being a blogger, being everything else. So, you know, I had this, I, I was really kind of steeped in that and the idea of, of, um, you know, being able to get cool new stuff out there really quickly. And the idea that, you know, not letting stuff date, I mean, physical books are wonderful, but they, you know, by the time they hit the shelf, they're dated and, you know, it just keeps going. So I always had that in mind as a way to make the Atlas kind of a living document. And, um, you know, fortunately, uh, the folks at Delray, you know, particularly uh, Eris Schoenweiss and uh, the folks 
at StarWars.com have supported that over the years. So, uh, so we've been able to, we've been able to do it. Okay, awesome. Oh, do you have another one, Nathan? No, you can go. You can go ahead. I'm, I'm formulating as we go. You know how I would. <laughs> well, so talking about that, and uh, this may actually be a boring question. So. If uh, you can just say so, if so, um, if it is or whatever. But as far as the the story group um, to the way it used to be to how it works now, is there any sort of interesting changes uh, among that or, or things that you're saying? Because um, to me, for instance, you know, I would think that that this even sort of works for say Pablo, who says, okay, you know, this is something that I've done. I'm still the same guy kind of doing things but now i've i've been doing it for a while i've got a chance to kind of start fresh and do things uh from you know a more learned perspective i as a writer mm-hmm. the experience of working with um with story group is really not that different uh mm-hmm. than it was um in the old days to sound horribly old uh, it's <laughs> it's really not that different i mean you have you know, you have uh, editors, um, you know, look at your manuscript and help you out with it. And, you know, there's there's some passes for continuity and all that. Um, and that really hasn't changed that much. Um, also, you know, for me, a lot of the the lore behind the, the writing hasn't changed that much either. Um, you know, I found that at very early in Servants of the Empire, I had um, and this was kind of right after the the, the legends announcement. You know, I needed a I don't remember what it was like a Tie Fighter engine part or something, and I knew what that was in Legends and asked you know and asked you know does that stuff I mean should I still include that should I footnote it what should I do and you know and and learned pretty quickly that that I mean there were some obvious things that it was fairly apparent we're going to be in play in different ways because of the new movies. But, you know, but there was no particular reason to rename a tie engine part if it already had a perfectly serviceable name. Um, so, you know, a lot of that, what I think it was kind of the, the infrastructure EU um, was also really pretty much the same experience that it had been. Um, the difference is that, um, and it's actually really great as a writer and, and as a reader too, is that now, you know, the continuity notes aren't necessarily, you know, stay away from X, et cetera. They'll also, you know, they're also being written with other stories and, and future works in mind. So, um, you know, I'll get notes suggesting things, um, suggesting, you know, little seeds that can be planted uh, to make connections with things that, you know, may happen six months from now or may happen in a couple of years. And so it's, it's funny. Sometimes I know what those connections are and sometimes I don't, I'm, you know, just kind of following, uh, following folks lead. And, you know, that's really fun. And it's, that's a experience we haven't had as Star Wars fans, which I think we're not only just beginning to see what that's going to be like, but, you know, I think of it as, you know, kind of planting seeds in a garden and, you know, we're watering and in, in a couple of years, there's going to be all this awesome stuff that's come out of the ground that we, you know, just are kind of aren't guessing at now. And I think that's just going to be uh, tremendously exciting as a fan and nice to be a part of. Okay. Awesome. It sounds, that sounds a lot to me like the way that, that uh, Disney has described the Marvel Cinematic Universe 
and the sort of the guidance of we're going to take these small hints in these early films and build it into something else. And it's nice to see that something that's organically happening within Star Wars. It's not here's a trilogy, here's a trilogy, here's a trilogy. Let's just figure out how we can hook them together, that there's a, a broader plan. I think that is very evident in Servants of the Empire. Uh, for those who haven't read them yet, and you should, especially if you're a fan of Rebels, um, Servants of the Empire, Edge of the Galaxy, Rebel in the Ranks, Imperial Justice, and the Secret Academy are the story of Zer Leonis from Rebels, who we met a couple of times, right? Breaking Ranks, Vision of Hope, and he had his own little story going that were little in the show of trying to find out more about what happened to his sister. And his tale, instead of being told on screen, is told in great depth throughout these four books. Uh, books that that on the surface you would look at and say, that looks like a younger audience type book. But I've yet to see and feel as though Jason ever pulls any punches with the writing that that would make something feel like it has an age level, really. Um, it's, it strikes me with that book that or that series that you had an an, an odd need to have to interweave with the show because there shows up a little bit into your story in rebels. He shows up again a little while later in your story in rebels. And then I, I was very surprised to find an ending that brought in the rebels characters that in and of itself isn't an episode of the show. Um, how did you go about having to plan that out and plot that out? when you knew that there was a series running alongside it that you would either have to interweave with or agree with, uh, maybe later on in the writing process, changing perhaps something that you've planned for a while? Um, well, I knew, I mean, from the start of that series, when I was starting to think about it, I knew some of the intersections. Like, I knew that a third of Rebel in the Ranks was going to be the episode breaking ranks, but from Zare's perspective. So I, I knew that going in even before um, I wrote the first book, which was was essentially Zare's backstory, how he wound up at the academy. Um, and then I knew about the the cameo in uh, Voices of Hope, um, and so I, I knew that essentially the the character's path had to wind up there by a certain point. Um, so I knew that. And then beyond that, it was just kind of coordinating with uh, the show producers and and writers. And you know that was sometimes a that was sometimes a moving target as plans for the show changed. But you know, that was fine. I had known that going in. I mean, Zare and uh, Zare and his sister and what happened to her, those were all things that I inherited from the from the rebels folks uh, before I ever got to work. Uh, so I knew that. And, you know, it was actually kind of fun. Um, you know, occasionally it was a little bit high wire. Um, it, that series taught me a lot about the need to really kind of plot fairly intricately way ahead. Um, I wound up essentially in the third book, Imperial Justice, I wound up with Zare kind of stuck in place narratively because I knew I knew he was kind of he was at the academy and he was, you know, spoiler alert getting transferred as we see in voice uh, voices of hope but you know i had him for for more than a book i had him uh kind of static and i had to figure out how to craft an interesting story around that um but you know that was a, honestly a fun challenge as a writer um man i really had to go kind of deeply into zare's mind and 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 show what was happening to him and and tell a story 
you know, that didn't necessarily have a ton of external action, if you follow me. Um, the other part of it was, and, and here's where I got lucky that, you know, I had crafted uh, Mary uh, Spanjaff as a, as a, as a character in that series. Uh, she was my invention and she wound up kind of taking more of the weight of the story because there was essentially, was essentially stuck at the Academy. Uh, and that turned out to be a good thing. I got, I got fairly interested in the character and saw um, a way to kind of interweave their stories and make them quite different. So, um, you know, that's one of the fun things about writing is, uh, and, you know, I think this is true of filmmaking and music and everything else too, is that sometimes those limitations that you think you want to kick against uh, in the beginning actually turn out to be, be pretty good for shaping a story. Now you also had a chance to sort of seed something into The Force Awakens where we we saw uh, Hux's, I guess it was father, basically coming up with the idea of let's raise kids from birth to be Imperials like the clones were, but let's not make them susceptible to genetically targeted diseases and such, which of course is presaging the, the very, very young First Order uh, quasi-Imperials that we see in The Force Awakens. Was that something where... You were got like, like when you were in the process of crafting that from a writing timeline standpoint, were you in a position to already kind of know where that was going or was it more sort of a this is what we like you to do because something's coming, but you weren't quite sure what how open were they with that? Uh, that idea actually started with me, um, but it was, or at least I recall it that way. If, if not, I apologize. But, no, 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 um, no, no, no. Just that, that's how it is now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> but but um, no, it was funny. I actually got really lucky there. Um, a, a couple things were happening at once. I was, I was out at Lucasfilm uh, for meetings for uh, the Episode 7 uh, cross-sections book. And as part of that, you know, I got an overview of the story. Um, this would have been uh, two Novembers ago. Yes, yeah, so November 14. Uh, so I got, an, I got a, an overview of the story and kind of what I needed to know for that book. Um, and at the same time, I, I, was, I was plotting out uh, Secret Academy, the final Servants of the Empire book, and I had a plot problem. Um, Basically, I knew I, I'd set up from the beginning that you know Zare trying to find his sister. His sister was essentially locked away in this Gothic tower that was forbidden, except for this this secret society of cadets within the academy. Um, and so, you know, that secret society was essentially and to break it down to kind of cold storytelling points. That, that essentially was a vehicle for getting Zare into the tower. Um, but then, you know, I had to back up from that. Um, it's funny, like, I mean, you know, storytelling and writing is all kind of, you know, you have an end state and you back up from it and, and hope you wind up with something that works. Um, so I had to figure out, well, what's the purpose of this secret society? And then you run into what, I mean, to borrow from Star Trek is kind of the red shirt problem. Like, um, you know, if it's something that's never been mentioned before or had any weight, then, you know, a, a veteran fan kind of discounts it because it's obvious it doesn't come to anything. And you're like, and then, you know, it's kind of not as interesting a threat. Um, yet it's sort of hard to sometimes to shoehorn something existing in there. Um, so I, you know, I just happen to have heard the story. I was struck by Finn's background. 
and thought, oh, wait a minute, you know, here's possibly a chance to actually, you know, back in in the chronology to actually set up something that folks will see uh, in TFA. Um, and I liked it because, you know, there, there the threat was real because, you know, it would be, I mean, when Secret Academy came out, it would be intriguing because, you know, fans who'd been following uh, tidbits, et cetera, would see that name Hux and be like, whoa, what's that? Um, but then it would also pay off for the movie um, when you'd, you'd get a little bit of background uh, for what happens in Force Awakens. And to top it off, it actually makes sense um, within Star Wars itself. Um, you know, it's it's a fairly logical thing of, you know, the clones and the Jedi were both basically soldiers trained from birth. And then, you know, they give way to the stormtroopers who are less effective. So, you know, if you're trying to make more effective stormtroopers, well, you know, what are the antecedents? What's come before? So, um, you know, I had this great, I, I had what I thought was this great idea. And when, and then the question was then pitching it to uh, Lucasfilm and just hoping that um, we'd, we'd get the go ahead to, to go with it. And, you know, Pablo Hidalgo was a, a huge help in that. And, you know, I just crossed my fingers and, and hoped that uh, we'd be able to, to make the connection. And we did, which was, you know, it was good luck for me, but I think it made, I think it made uh, Servants of the Empire more interesting and hopefully more fun story. Well, I think- Sometimes you get lucky. That's, that's the moral. Well, I, in this case, it was almost a bit of foresight because, you know, that was one of the complaints was everyone saying, oh, well, Hux is too young for this role. So by you doing it that way, it, it sort of uh, predates everything back to, to kind of explain. But then also it adds a lot more gravity to when uh, Kylo is saying, oh, well, maybe uh, maybe Snoke should consider using a a clone army, you know, that right there is a little bit more of a jab at Hux because he can take it more personal than, Oh, your men aren't good enough. It's, Oh, you know, your father's, uh, you know, basically your, your legacy is, is not good. I I felt like that adds a lot more gravity to, to those scenes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, um, you know, I, I, I wish I could claim more credit than, (laughs) <laughs> than I deserve, but you know, I was really essentially lucky. I had mm-hmm. a, a plot problem uh, that I didn't know how to solve, and then you know, got this new information, and you know, there was like a kind of a flashing red light, and I was, I thought, well, there's a connection that might might work, and and happily it did. Yeah. You may just be force sensitive. You you see things before <laughs> they. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah, that that worked out great and kind of awesome. There was, uh, you know, there, there's several things like that with that I was curious about because, you know, looking through, for instance, the uh, Ray Survival Guide. There's so much in here that's, you know, it's interesting and, and even sort of correlates with some of the stuff like, um, I was it the before the Awakening that Greg Rucka did, and then the actual. Um, the actual novelization and stuff like I'm seeing a lot of similarities, you know, talking about the, uh, the Lugga beast and the Tito's and things like that. Um, did you have a whole lot to, to work on or to work off of for putting all of this together? Or did you just pretty much have free reign? Uh, yeah, I mean, credit for that. I mean, that's really credit that should go to, uh, to Lucasfilm 
and uh, and Disney Press. I mean, they were both great at getting me everything I needed, and you know, and and going back and forth. So, you know, I was able to incorporate, um, you know, Greg's uh, Ray story. Um, you know, I was able to be fed little bits from, uh, you know, from TFA, from other things, uh, et cetera. And, you know, that kind of works, uh, that kind of works across the boards and it's, um, it's an example of really good storytelling creation. Like, um, you know, for moving target, the book I, uh, I wrote with, uh, Cecil Castellucci, you know, there's a major lock marcha. And then, you know, in, in Lost Stars, Claudia Gray, Claudia Gray is a really wonderful book. Um, you know, there's this, you know, you're reading along and there's a reference to, you know, Lock Marcha being replaced mm-hmm. uh, for the Battle of Endor. And, you know, that's just, you know, that's, uh, that's just a testament to, to those folks, you know, helping us out as writers to forge the connections. But, you know, not have them be, be forced artificial connections, but things that, that feel natural. And, you know, when it works, it just makes the universe uh, feel, uh, feel richer and more connected. Yeah, I mean it's it it all sort of interweaves very fluidly. You know, it's uh, I I've been very impressed with with how everything just sort of links together like that. Um, and then also, you know, I, I'm flipping through here. Uh, one thing that I noticed was I love the little postcard of Bespin on there. Uh, was that your idea to add that in there? Oh, I think that was the folks at Studio Fun. Yeah, they had. Um... They they were great at, at with the found objects and the art, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, the 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 kind of demented Hapabor uh, dewormer or whatever his instructions. <laughs> I, I can claim credit for that one. That was okay. my very strange twisted idea. Awesome. Yeah, I I really uh, yeah I love it. It's happy boar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Exactly. I was thinking back to you know. Uh, Taj and the Biscuit Baron and all that, and mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's Star Wars. I mean, pe- sometimes people take it way too seriously. It's supposed to be fun. Yeah, Nate. Yes, yes, I know, I know. <laughs> Some people, but that's what that, that's that's why I'm who you call when you want digital dates that are just way too nerdy for any professional to actually figure out, um, because. I'm buried in the nerddom. Um, Speaking of just this idea of the way it's all fitting together, one of the things that was a a frequent criticism of the Legends continuity, the official continuity prior to the the rebranding and all, was that you often have what seemed to be different writers wanting to sort of tell the same iconic moment, like multiple times of seeing how we got Death Star plans that had to be figured out how to put together, multiple times of Luke's first supposed return to Tatooine, or um, the bounty hunter at Ord Mantell that freaked out Han, especially when trying to work in a lot of those really early you know, 80s and 70s stuff and trying to make it work with the things that came out later. Um, It seems as though at this point, there's a lot more uh, of trying to make sure that everything kind of has its place rather than overlapping or uh, or bumping into each other. And that brings to mind your moving target and the weapon of a Jedi. You've got basically... What is happening right before the Battle of Endor? Why is it that the rebels are able to mass their fleet without drawing the Empire's attention? And on the other hand, you've got what amounts to basically Luke's first true duel using his lightsaber. Um, now that this, the playing field is sort of leveled in saying, OK, it's all canon now, film, cartoon, book, whatever, it's being vetted. So this is all equal. I'm curious, is there does it feel like there's any added 
pressure or added, I don't think responsibility is the right word, uh, but added pressure, added responsibility, added thrill to the fact that it is now having that status as opposed to kind of walking into it knowing, you know, in the Legends continuity, I'm playing in somebody else's sandbox. It could get knocked over. I just kind of hope it doesn't. Does the mindset change? Well, I, I mean, I, I still see it as, as someone else's uh, sandbox. Like I love um, John Jackson Miller has talked about, you know, as, as a writer with someone else's intellectual property, you kind of treat it like you're you know, out for a hike in a national park. Like, you know, you know, do the, you know, do what you come came to do. Don't disturb other stuff. Don't leave them. Don't trash the place, uh, et cetera. So, I mean, I, I, I think, whatever the the kind of ground rules are i mean that's always the way i approach it um but um i mean it's it's interesting it's just you know it's just a thrill to tell star wars stories and for me that was true uh in the old expanded universe and it's it's true now um i think one thing for me is that you know i'm 46 i was i was eight when i saw the original star wars and so you know, I grew up with a a um, taking in stories in a way that I think is a little different uh, than it was in the EU, and certainly than the way it is today. Um, you know, in the in the early years as a kid, I read uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye. I mean, the, one of the very first EU stories where you know Luke fights Darth Vader on uh, on Mimban, and then you know Luke dueled uh, Baron Taj, and then he kind of dueled Vader. Um, and then Empire Strikes Back came out. And, I mean, it was pretty clear to me that those things hadn't happened. Um, and, you know, put kind of air quotes around hadn't happened. Um, you know, just from the feel of that, you were like, yeah, you know, Empire, Cloud City, that's the duel. Um, you know, not these things on Mimban or elsewhere. Um, but, you know, I just accepted that and it was fine with me. It didn't diminish my love for those stories at all. I, you know, I had gone back to a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And it just, you know, these were all legends and all fairy tales. And, you know, if you look 600 years back at, at the career of Luke Skywalker, I mean, I mean, my goodness, like every one spaceport planet would have their story of Luke and Vader. And they'd claim that, you know, this was where they fought it out. You know, it's, uh, you know, my my uh, my grandfather's uncle's friend, you know, saw it. And you see you see that burn mark. That's from Vader's lightsaber and, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, that's true today. I mean, think about, you know, lore around, you know, say um, Jesse James or, you know, how many inns George Washington slept in. And, you know, those are <laughs> real people. And the lore is pretty thick. So. You know, I, I guess what I'm trying to say in my rambling way is my sense of that was always, I think, pretty expansive, that these were all just kind of great stories. But it was interesting for Weapon of a Jedi. I mean, I was keenly aware, not of, you know, Luke's first duel, though I understood that was the way uh, it was being expressed in the continuity. But I, I was aware of, of, you know, the significance of that. And, you know, one thing I did was that um, you know, quite deliberately in that book, uh, there are nods, um, even down to some of the language, uh, there are nods to Marvel 33, where Luke fights uh, Baron Taj. There are nods to Splinter um, in the way he fights, uh, in the way he fought Vader. And that was done quite deliberately as a salute to stories that 
I loved as a kid, and I know that um, lots of other people love today. Okay, that's really cool. You know, I'm gonna have to go back and, and read that and look for those. Then that's I didn't even think about that. Yeah, it's even down to the way the way Sarko stumbles and where he falls is <laughs> is pretty much mirrors exactly what happens to Vader, and that was not not an accident by any means. <laughs> You've heard of the Da Vinci Code. This is yeah. the Fry Code. <laughs> um, so. You've written guidebooks, you've written series of stories, you've written adaptations. I'm curious if there's anything that if they approached you that you could imagine that you would simply say, no, that story I can't do. Like, hey, we'd like you to do a serious adaptation of the holiday special or something like that. (laughs) Is there anything that you would almost feel like either I can't do it because I have you know, maybe I'm not sure if I could do it justice or something where it's, I don't want to do it because I don't agree with where that's going for any reason. Is there anything you think you would possibly have to turn down if given a chance? Um, that's a really good question. I don't know. I mean, I don't think there's anything I'd say no to both because I'm a fairly ambitious writer and fan and I love star Wars. Um, if they came to me with say, and let's make perfectly clear, this is not going to happen and probably <laughs> shouldn't happen to me or anybody else. But if they made, you know, if somebody wanted to tell like the origin of Yoda, I would be, my first reaction would probably not be, Oh, cool. Thanks. My first reaction would be, are you sure you want to do that? Um, <laughs> not, yeah. not abject terror. <laughs> oh yeah. Abject terror would come very quickly. Um, but you know, I, I'll, but beyond that, and you know, who knows? Even including that, I mean, um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's Star Wars. I mean, sign me up. Um, but I will tell you a, a story, though. It's kind of funny. Um, Greg Ruck and I um, discovered this about each other at, at New York Comic Con, which is pretty entertaining. Like, uh, I mean, Greg, who did a great job on um, on uh, Smuggler's Run, the Han Solo book in the Journey of the Force Awakens series, um, like Greg. Uh, always considered himself really a more of a Luke guy than a Han guy. And um, I have always thought of myself as, as more of a Han guy than a Luke guy. Like I was always, as a kid, I was always, you know, Han was the character I identified with. And, you know, I was like, why on earth would Luke hang around and, you know, become a soldier and, and do this Jedi stuff when he could go be a space pirate? Like that sounds much cooler. <laughs> um, so, you know, in approaching moving target, I mean, I'll, I'll admit I was a little nervous about that just because the force and Luke as a character had never really been what made me hugely excited about Star Wars. Um, I mean, I'd liked them, but I was always, you know, I wanted the the smuggling and the and the spice and the blasters and stuff like that. Um, but you know, the way I approached that was I I kind of first I, I dove into you know, Mark Hamill's uh, performance in the movies and, you know, had a great time doing that kind of trying to get a character who I think is really elusive for a lot of writers. Um, and then I also, I was thinking a lot, I mean, I knew I discussed with, with Lucasfilm and, and Disney press what they wanted to do. And I knew, you know, this is Luke before Dagobah, but he's learned to do a couple of things. I mean, we see that in the Wampa cave moving, you know, summoning the saber um, so what has he learned and how has he learned it? And that was interesting to me and really made me kind of think about the force 
and the lessons he would learn, you know, to really go from someone with really kind of great ability, but it's utterly raw to taking his first steps. And how would he do that essentially without a teacher? And, you know, I wound up really enjoying both of those things and really being happy with uh, weapon of a Jedi, because um, it really made me uh, it made me appreciate both those things a lot more, uh, Luke and you know thinking about the Force. So, you know, if I had shied from that and like you know and you know tried to negotiate my way into doing the Han book, for instance, um, you know I that wouldn't have happened, and I wouldn't have uh, that appreciation for the character that I do now. So you know, it's I, I'm grateful it happened and. You know, that's a good lesson. That would be a good lesson to keep in mind uh, in and to answer a question like that. Do you feel like you're sort of getting the opportunity out of curiosity on a non Star Wars topic? But do you feel like you're sort of getting a chance to live out some of that wanting to be like Han Solo and kind of wanting the that, that vibe with the Jupiter Pirates now? Um, oh, well, it's funny. It, it, Jupiter Pirates, I mean, of course, for someone who saw Star Wars at, at eight years old, I mean, Jupiter Pirates has a lot of Star Wars DNA. Like, how couldn't it? Uh, it's actually very funny in that in that series, the relationship between uh, Tycho, the protagonist, and, and Yana, his sister, uh, is actually very, it's very Han and Luke. I mean, Tycho is the one who's, who, you know, is trying to do the right thing and worried about his legacy. Uh, and things like that. And, and Yana, his sister, his twin sister, in fact, though, is, it's funny, she wasn't originally going to be that. Um, but Yana is much more the kind of, you know, kick butts and shoot first uh, character. And, you know, it's interesting, that kind of character is always sort of more fun, because, you know, they don't, they aren't chained down by all those responsibilities and things like that. They just sort of, um, they just sort of let fly and see what happens. Um, like but yeah, that dynamic is, it was been, been really interesting as a Star Wars fan, uh, taking into something of my own creation. I'm hearing a little bit of Batman instead of Superman here. <laughs> um, now you, you were talking about being a little bit more of a Han guy. Did, did that play any part of bringing nine numb into uh, moving target or did that work a little differently? No, that was, um, I mean, that was kind of, that was in the story very early on. Okay. Uh, one thing that was fun there uh, for me and Cecil, though, I mean, we'd mm-hmm. seen Nine Numb a little bit in the, um, in the comics and some other things, but it was really interesting kind of thinking about, about him as a character. We really hadn't seen that much of him. And, you know, if you're going back to the basics, just the movies, I mean, he just sort of, you know, chatters away and, 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 Haya or, or whatever the, the language is um, a few times. A and you don't really have any sense of him as a character. So it was right. interesting. You know, the, there was an opportunity for, for Cecil and me to have a character that, you know, Star Wars fans knew, but they didn't really know. And, you know, that's kind of a, that's kind of a neat place to be as uh, storytellers. Right. Yeah. And that one, how, how was that writing, you know, sort of co-writing that one? Because that one really, for me, I loved that book. Um, it's I got all three of them and read through, the, and I, that was the one that I read last, uh, just because I, I like to sort of build the things, and, and wow. I sort of said, okay, so this is about this, is about that. I'm like, this sounds interesting. I'm going to check it out. So how was, how was that sort of doing the co-writing thing? 
Uh, I mean, the co-writing something I like to I like to kind of keep. It's so intensely personal. I like to mm-hmm. kind of keep it between collaborators. But mm-hmm. I mean, you know, both of us just you know responded. I mean, absolutely rapidly and excitedly, mm-hmm. as well as you know a little anxiously uh, to this prospect of writing Princess Leia, who has been you know such an important character. I mean, to Cecil, but, but also to me. Um, and uh, she also, I mean, like Luke, I think is a tricky character to get right. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. I mean, you know, with all these characters, I felt I definitely it wasn't fear because I was like, yeah, hey, I'm writing Star Wars. This is fantastic. How great is this? But, you know, it was a sense of responsibility because, you know, those characters, uh, you know, even down to 3PO and Chewie mean a huge amount to people. And, you know, as as readers, as viewers, we've been we've got really, really finely tuned radar for how they sound and what they do. And if it's off a little, you know, we sense it immediately. And, you know, I know cause I am one of those readers and right. I've had those reactions myself. So, uh, that was simultaneously fun, but it, it, it does concentrate the mind. <laughs> so, I mean, how, how do y'all go about doing that? Do you just say, okay, I'll write this sentence and you write the next one or how do you do oh, every, different? every collaboration is just different. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, you know, every team of writers is, and every project is different. So, mm-hmm. you know, you just uh, you just work together and and get to the and get to the other side. Um, I mean, one of the great things for us was, you know, we had a lot of help. Um, that's one of the things about this new era that, um, you know, I find immensely reassuring, and I try to, you know, to to impress on fans is that, you know, from story group to editors at at Disney press to everyone. I mean, the focus is, is really on storytelling. Like that's the, the, the conversations are about that, about how to make the storytelling as good as it can be and as powerful as it can be. And, you know, I know fans think of Disney, they, you know, they understandably think about, Oh, this is a business, et cetera. And look, I mean, star Wars is a massive business, but mm-hmm. you know, my impression has always been that, you know, the feeling is if, if the storytelling's good, the business will take care of itself. And, you know, not just as a writer, but as a lifelong fan, that's exactly the way I'd want it to be. And, you know, I think you can see it in everything from the new movie to what Marvel's doing to things like, um, you know, like uh, Lost Stars and, and the other mm-hmm. books out there. And, I mean, I think the quality has been really high and it's been really entertaining. And it's just, I feel lucky to get to play a small role in that. Oh yeah, I, I agree. And it's, it's also left my wallet quite empty lately, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, just, it very much seems like the focus I, that you think back to like the early Bantam era. I mean, the focus was these large epic scale conflicts, but a lot of times the characters themselves didn't really grow or change all that much. It was just sort of how they reacted to the situation. And this era really feels like it's much more personal stories, whether it's Zare or Leia, or I mean, even, Nine numb in his appearances. Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious, just kind of in relation to this, there's one character who's gotten a lot of focus that I don't think anybody expected to. And you had a chance to use this character in, in the Rise of the Empire, uh, I guess you call it an omnibus, um, Ray Sloan. Mm-hmm. She just kind of showed up. And nobody really expected to see her again. And here she is over and over again in short stories, in Aftermath. Was this a planned thing to sort of shepherd that character through? Or was it sort of almost like 
introducing, you know, maybe a talent card or something back in the day where, hey, he exists. We'll use him. Was it planned? You know, I actually don't know that. Um, I mean, I encounter like everybody else in in a new dawn uh, by John Jackson Miller. And then, um, you know, for for my assignment in Rise of the Empire, I knew that we were we wanted to show the character uh, show Ray at a at a pivotal moment between, you know, that Imperial era Ray and the character we'd see in uh, in Chuck Wendig's aftermath books. Um, so that was, that was interesting. It was, um, I was actually really, I was really fun. I kind of went, went back through JJM's book and, you know, tried to get a sense of what made her tick as well as in, um, the, the orientation, I think it is, there was an insider short story, um, and then kind of take her further and then look at that also as, as Endor, uh, as this kind of pivot point, um, this fulcrum, I would say, it's funny. I mean, that word has become loaded because of that, <laughs> but yeah, that's really what it was. Uh, that story was also fun. I mean, she's a great, she's a great character, and it was it was a pleasure to get to kind of, you know, to tell her story. But um, a lot of credit should also go to to Eris Chernovitz and uh, and uh, and Tom, whose last name I always forget because I'm a moron uh, at Delray. Um, but that they were very helpful to me in plotting out that story, and we we kind of set ourselves up for a, a challenge. We wanted we wanted her saying "recall the ties" to be like this kind of what surprise kind of chill moment in the story, which I liked as a challenge because it's not a line that immediately makes you think like "whoa, what just happened?" But you know, we kind of thought about how can we make that a real turning point, and that got into. You know, what does Sloan see in the battle that makes her react before other people do, you know, that then lets her save herself and, and, and be a force in the future and then go backwards. And then, you know, what with Tarkin, with Vidian, et cetera, set what brought her to that point uh, to see that? So that was pretty fun. And then, you know, and then pull it off in, in not very many pages, which is the trick. Right, so it's the inside the military mind. If only you knew that guy who wrote the essential guide to warfare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that was actually fun, too. I mean, there was the you know, there was stuff about, uh, you know, indoor in there that I was able to draw on. And, um, you know, and, and uh, a fair amount about the imperial military that was still still perfectly great material to draw on. So that was fun, too. Awesome. Um, so now, uh, another thing that uh, you've done is, like Nate mentioned earlier, you do a lot of these cross-section books. And I, I absolutely love these. I've, I have several of them, uh, even the, uh, what was it, the essential guides uh, to vehicles and stuff like that from back in the 90s. Um, and I've always just loved these books. But the one thing, like the biggest question, I don't know what, like a... a Better way to ask it, but where do you come up with this stuff? <laughs> um, those books are the interesting thing about those books is, I mean, it's really the, the it's it's the artists who who make those books work. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Hans Jensen and Richard Chasemore, uh in the classic ones, and Kemp Remillard on the new one. So you know, the the fun of those books for me was I would just instead of a blank page, you know, I'd get this unbelievably awesome 
you know, cross section of the of Han and Chewie's freighter or something like that, and then get to kind of tell stories around that and and just have fun with it. But um, yeah, I mean, those are interesting. I mean, you know, everything from you know calling out uh, you know points on these in these really wonderfully intricate diagrams to you know putting a few Easter eggs in there, and um, but then also just kind of thinking about the story. Uh, you want to tell with the text. Um, I mean, if you look back at the various ones, uh, there are different approaches. Some of the prequel era ones are, are very kind of hard sci-fi about, you know, weaponry and, and engines and things like that. And that's, you know, for some people, that's a great approach. Um, for TFA cross-sections, the, the real thing to think about was kind of what, what do we want to tell? What do we want to do? And, you know, where I came down to it, because this was a new era to explore, I really wanted to look at those uh, those vehicles in context. What's their role in the galaxy? Um, you know, if they're new TIE fighters, for instance, how do they relate to the old ones, et cetera? So really kind of, you know, use everything I could to kind of help us along into this into this new era. We were all just starting to explore together. Yeah, and so talking about the, the TIE fighters, that was when I got the book. Uh, first thing when it come in, I'm like, okay, where is that new special forces Tie Fighter? That was the first thing I flipped to. Um, so how how was that for getting to really spell that one out? That was great. I mean, mm-hmm. it was great, but it was also thinking about, you know, it's um, it's I don't know, it's it's kind of Star Wars twenty questions. Like, mm-hmm. all right, what's different? Um, you know, what's different? What do we know from? Uh, you know, the, the screenwriters and the ILM guys and everybody else, what do we know is different? Now let's work back from that. All right. You know, if it's, if it's different, how and why, and, you know, layer on that, you have an empire that, you know, in, it no longer rules the galaxy is much smaller, but seems to have made some, um, interesting advances technologically. So how can both those things be true? And, you know, it's by asking questions like that, that that you hopefully wind up with interesting stories. And that's where, you know, working with, with camp, working with a story group, uh, working with other writers, you know, lets you come up with some, some intriguing answers and then, you know, let them play out across different books. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, because like I said, with me, the the actual like i play the uh the x-wing tabletop game and everything the the actual ships are just it's so fun and you know it's looking at these and everything and because i have just like how does like how does he know how this thing works like i I feel like if you needed to you have like an an understanding at this point to go you know what i could probably repair that if it was ever broken (laughs) i wish kemp could repair it i couldn't um there's, there's actually a funny story about that. Um, mm-hmm. When I was doing the the Clone Wars Incredible Vehicles book, um, you know, the artist there uh, would I, I would get these incredibly you know lavishly illustrated ships, but then you know they weren't la- the parts weren't labeled, and um, I'm not mechanically inclined at all. But I was looking at this stuff and I said, you know, this is not random. Like someone who understands engines, understands machines, uh, put this together with a purpose, but I couldn't figure out what it was. And what happened was that, that book, you know, like the new one was for DK. I I went, I went to them and said, and said, Hey, you know, could the, 
you know, give the artists leave what they think something is on, and I'll change it if I need to. But that would be a really good starting point rather than me, who knows nothing about anything under the hood of a car, trying to guess at what things are. And um, it was very funny. It turned out that, you know, the artists were, were just being being polite and kind, and they thought that was kind of my turf, and they didn't want to um, intrude on it. But, you know, once I had that, then, you know, all this stuff made a lot more sense, and we were able to to work a lot um, a lot more smoothly because if I needed to kind of Star Wars eyes something I did, or if I asked questions I did, but you know that all that wonderful work and thinking that had gone into the diagrams got reflected much better because the you know the original uh, concept was there. Okay, very cool. Um, now, now one thing that uh, I was curious about, and it, and it may not be anything at all. But I've heard some people talk about like, oh, well, now the wings are white on the uh, the new TIE fighters. Um, have, have, did they explain anything to you about like maybe their, the mindset of the color changes or did you kind of have an idea for that or anything? I think there's a note somewhere about the solar collectors being different, mm-hmm. which either explains the color or implies it. But um Oh, who knows? There's so many data points. I may have just forgotten. <laughs> right. But yeah, yeah. I mean, that kind of thing is fun, though. Right. Yeah. Because that's because someone's like, well, I, I just don't understand why they um, uh, like, I, you know, I just don't understand why they would go white. And I'm like, well, you know, because from what I, I was looking at, it's that, you know, they're better and they're they kind of basically a little more overpowered. I'm like, well, maybe they get hot and maybe they didn't paint it white. Maybe it just, you know, how some stuff can get so hot that the, the metal starts to kind of turn white. I'm like, do you think of that genius? So I didn't know yeah, if maybe. There we go. <laughs> I yeah, didn't know that's if maybe... exactly the kind of process. You know, do that times <laughs> 500 and there you are. Right. Well, I just had one one last question and then uh, we'll, we'll stop bugging you here. But. The one thing about the uh, going back to the the uh, race survival guide that I saw and I was like, oh my god, this is this is crazy, is the the seg the section about uh, I'm, I'm flipping to it right now, the uh, bah, 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 the uh, the graveyard of ships section. Yeah. So as I'm reading through it and everything, I noticed that basically we're starting to get a little more. Uh, history on Jakku and, of, of kind of the Battle of Jakku, which had been pretty much a, a mystery for everyone with just little bits of things put, you know, from book to book. But then once I noticed talking about that, you know, you have here that the, um, the empire was, uh, you know, when they realized that they were uh, beaten, then they just decided just to turn all the, uh, the tractor beams on and bring everything down. And I thought, man, that is huge. Like that's that's something big that I that I was surprised that I haven't seen that in any of the other books or anything. And then I saw that here and I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's kind of the fun is mm-hmm. you know, telling telling bits and, and pieces of these stories uh and having them add up. I mean, you've mm-hmm. seen some of Jakku and Lost Stars. Um, you know, the aftermath books are well, I don't know for sure, but I'm gonna I'm gonna guess based on sloan and the and the ravager and things like that right. that were headed that way um yeah so you get these kind of you know it's it's a really fun way of storytelling to mm-hmm. you know to have these things kind of come into focus 
uh, more and more. And I mean, it's, it's, it's fun for me cause it's a dual role cause I get to contribute to that in part, but you know, not seeing all of it. I also, you know, get the enjoyment of, you know, getting another puzzle piece, uh, in right. a new book or comic, which is really neat. Oh yeah, definitely. Like I said, that seeing that one in there, I was like, ah, that, that one's important. I'm like, why is this not posted everywhere? Now, was that one that you sort of got to create or was that sort of a note that they had that you uh, chose to use in the book? Um, I think, no, I, I seem to remember, I think that was given to me. Okay. Um, it was the kind of thing I needed to know. Um, mm-hmm. But it's an interesting question in that book is, you know, not everything Ray passes along is true. Right. Um, yeah, no, some you... of it she knows to be crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of it she's not so sure about, but, um, you know, in, in part, that's just good storytelling business since you don't want to close off avenues, right. but it's not done to be cute or manipulative. Um, you know, I think it, it fits the book and who she is and, and what you know. I mean, it's this, you know, this, this desert full of, of wreckage and all these sort of mildly crazy people trying to make a living from it and you know of course you know while they're sitting there scrubbing parts mm-hmm. you know they're trading tall tales and bits of intel and and everything else so you know it's a it's a nice hopefully a nice intersection of you know keeping the storytelling open for the future but also being true to what would actually happen in universe. So and it doesn't all, sometimes, sometimes you wind up, you know, trying to force that a little bit. So it was nice to have it be natural here. So, you know, just wondering with the talking about that and going with it. So you have the, the three theories that are outlined. Does that kind of work from maybe just sort of some stuff that like, like, well, maybe it's kind of this or whatever. And you just sort of worked it in that way. Or was that just sort of a, just sort of a fun way to kind of give little hints? Uh, it's a little both. I mean, okay. and that's the great thing about, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the great thing about having storytell uh, story group helping you out is, you know, you can, you can go that way and explore it. And, you know, if they, if they know what the ultimate intent is, you know, then they can size that up and, and steer you a little bit or, um, or do whatever needs to be done, which, you know, as a, as a storyteller is great freedom. It lets you be, it lets you be a little, uh, experimental and, and have some fun, but know that you're working with a net. Okay. Yeah. It's like I said, it, it was very intriguing kind of looking at that stuff and seeing, uh, how to, how to go about it. But, you know, I, I definitely suggest anyone who's not picked this book up to, to definitely, definitely, definitely pick that up. Cause it, it was such a fun read. And like I said, just that section alone, I was like, worth it. I'm so glad I grabbed this. <laughs> um, and in fact, you actually provided us with a, a signed copy that we're going to give away at the end of this show. So everyone just stay tuned and we will uh, give the details on that later. But uh, I, I appreciate you stopping by, Jason, and uh, kind of keeping us in line here on some of this stuff. Because it's like I said, you, you've got so many. And then I'm like, oh, well, what about this? And what about this? So <laughs> it, was, it was very fun to, to get my questions answered. Well, I'm glad to do it. And they're great questions. And uh, I'll. If uh, if I get a chance to keep writing, I'll hope you have me back, and we'll take on a whole other set of questions. Fantastic. Uh, is there anything that you want to plug or tell about before you head out? Uh, it's funny. As, as a Star Wars writer, 
you know, I generally don't announce stuff uh, before the publishers do, but mm-hmm. um, something did leak out. So I can say, you know, Kemper Emillard and I are working on uh, are, are working on some more stuff in the in the vein of what we did in cross sections, which will be uh, be very. Uh, be very entertaining to bring to people uh, fairly soon. Um, I also, for Jupiter Pirates, uh, the third Jupiter Pirates book, uh, Rise of Earth, is coming out in June. And uh, in April, there'll be a free short story uh, if you're on the Jupiter Pirates mailing list, which you can do at jupiterpirates.com. So I'm hoping that I'm hoping that uh, that people will like that one and then uh, stick around for the third book in that series with more to come. And um, and meanwhile, I'm at Jason C. Fry on Twitter if anyone wants to see what I'm doing. Or uh, my Tumblr is Jason Fry's Dorkery. And you know, meanwhile, I'll be I'll be reading and uh, getting my popcorn and and sitting alongside everybody and enjoying all this uh, great Star Wars storytelling uh, that we have these days. Oh, that that reminds you bringing up the popcorn. Next time you talk to Arish, tell yeah. him to pass the corn. All right, we'll do. <laughs> Are you familiar with that? No. He actually uh, geek out loud. They're uh, it's a network that's they're uh, friends with. He they comes um, Steve Glosson who runs that. He comes on the uh, Star Wars Report quite a bit and everything. He has a show over there with uh, Arish. Kind of pops in probably about once a month and they talk about movies and it's called pass the corn. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yep. So you'll, you'll have to tell him to pass the corn. I'm sure he'll light up for that. We'll do. All right. I really, I really hope it's popcorn because otherwise the phrasing, I don't know about that double, <laughs> that double meaning thing. <laughs> oh a little God. bit scary. Oh, but yeah. Thanks again, man. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's uh, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. So, uh, let's go take a look at the hollow vid. We've got yet another Battlefront update. How do you feel about that, Nathan? I actually feel pretty good about this one. It was tiny. It was basically Mm -hmm. just the Survivors of Endor map for... uh, It's an odd mixture. It's for the larger maps, but then uh, along with Twilight on Hoth that came out also recently, that can actually be on the larger maps and for Blast, so it's kind of interesting. And they took... Just like they took... Uh, the survival map for Tatooine and made it into one of the maps for the smaller game modes. Now they've taken the Rebel Depot from some of the uh, the other game modes and turned it into a survival map. So we got basically right. one new map to use in multiplayer, one new map to use in survival, no other balance tweaks or anything to go with it, no nerfs, no buffs of anything, just a nice, quick, hey, you've already paid us for this game, Here's a little bit of free stuff. I am all for them adding more content, especially if it's free because of how anemic the initial game felt. I still don't feel like what they're giving us is going to increase the longevity. I just did, for those who follow my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash user slash chrono radio, um, check out, I believe it's number 13 of the Battlefront livestream podcast thing that I do. And I go into the question of, does this game have an end game? Spoiler alert. No, no, it doesn't. If you're a higher level player, there's nothing to do. If you already hit level 50, aside from gathering up stuff you've already unlocked but can't afford to purchase, there's nothing left to do. Um, But every time they add a little bit more and add modes like they did with Turning Point or open up 
a mode on more maps like they did a while back with Turning Point on all the bigger maps. I think that it's a step in the right direction. Uh, Hopefully we'll see enough of a difference between the free content and the paid DLC that will feel as though really, yes, they're supporting the community, but yes, they're also making a clean line between what they expect you to be willing to spend money on versus not. Like if it's if it were just to be, here's a free new mode, now here's a paid new mode, I think people might be grumbling, well, why is one free and one's not? But it seems like they have a plan. God, I hope they have a plan. Right. Right. Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, that's the thing. I was I was glad to see it because I'm like, hey, more stuff. I haven't actually picked up the, the season pass yet because there's not really been much point yet, right? But, um, I mean, I do... Isn't there, like, an emote you could get, though, if you pre-ordered the season pass or something? I don't care about emotes. Neither do I, but that's all <laughs> there is to do anymore. Right. So, you know, to me, I'm like, okay, that's is what it is. But I just, I felt like, you know, this is this is at least good of them to do to try to make some things right. Um, because obviously there are so many fans that are upset, but then it turns into the thing where, you know, I'm seeing people go, Oh, okay. So, you know, I, I bought this season pass, but you're just giving away stuff. Like what's up with that? So I'm just like, I I don't know what they can do at this point. Yeah. They, they, they can't win. It's the same thing with destiny. Really? I mean, destiny was getting, getting crap over certain things that they do with their DLC. And then they recently said, okay, well, we're not doing any more DLC except one big one uh, before the end of this version of destiny before we were launch another game. And in the interim, they're doing these small little free events. People are like, like these events are big enough. They're stupid. Why don't you do bigger <laughs> events like with DLC? Yeah, because this is the stuff that you're not having to pay for right. versus the stuff that you do. There mm-hmm. is a difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like I said, I like it just because it's like, okay, there is more game coming. And for me, someone who doesn't play a whole lot, uh, I guess one of those dirty, dirty casuals. Sorry, I have things to do. Podcasting is hard, but um, well, if you aren't very good at the actual podcasting, then you do more in the editing than it's hard, I guess. I don't know. But point being, you know, I don't have a whole lot of time, so I don't get to play it a ton. But for me, you know, it's cool because it's there's still new things coming. So it's at a, it's at a point where I'm like, oh, okay, well, now we're going to do this a little bit and, you know, kind of help out with uh, some of the new not wearing off as, as easily. Um, which I know you said, like with you, you're kind of running into that situation, but uh, you know, I love that they're, they're doing more, you know, now we've got the extra, uh, survival map. I love that they're, they're doing the, the indoor map. And I, I mean, as a kid, I think a big part of why I, or why Return of the Jedi resonated more with me was because of indoor, because if I went outside, it wasn't Tatooine or it wasn't, Hoth, you know, if I went outside, it was woods and things. So I, I, you know, I just, it was a lot easier to go out and be like, oh, I'm in a a wooded planet. This is still like Star Wars than be like, I'm going to pretend I'm on a a, a desert planet. (laughs) So I don't know. Maybe that's just me weird and not having enough imagination. Uh, you're you're like all the fan film people who said, you know, let's just make it in the forest. I mean, that's why it was the cliche that was parodied in uh, Chris Hannell, Abe Paterka, Steve Phelan, and Justin Whitlock's awesome, uh, and Becca Paterka, awesome fan film, The Formula, back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to ask you this question. Yeah. Because you said you don't know what they could do now. And mm-hmm. I agree. They're kind of, uh, you know, they're, they're 
funeral pyre if they do, funeral pyre if they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's say that they had had Turning Point and Jakku and these new maps and a few more survival maps, even if it's just retreads of old multiplayer ones and a few new multiplayer maps, even if they're just retreads of survival ones. Mm-hmm. If they had basically done what they've done so far, except instead of doing it bit by bit over a span of months, they had made this all part of the base game. Do you think they'd be getting more or less goodwill if that was in the base? But then that also means that it's a dry spell between launch and the first DLC, which would have been a better choice for them as far as PR. Um, honestly, I feel like it would have been probably worse for them to have released it because, and the reason why is because then at that point, people who who were had their minds made up. They it wasn't like oh okay well there you know there's plenty more of these. Um, you know, there, there's there's plenty more maps, so so there's more. You know, because the way that they were explaining how the maps worked wasn't exactly correct either. Because people basically would be like, "Oh, there's only four maps," or something along those lines at that point. So that being said, then should they continue to do the the minor updates? Let's say the DLCs are a month or two apart. Should they continue putting out smaller updates in between to keep the longevity and sort of keep that goodwill, or should they get to a point where? They need to make sure that things that they are putting out are the paid stuff so that people don't start expecting more for free. So I I think that there should definitely be a gap between the two, Um, especially when when you're taking, you know, essentially someone's paying double the money, right? Uh, I think that, well, almost double. I think that in that case, you should certainly make sure that those people feel like they are getting their money's worth for that extra content rather than going, well, we already got your money, so whatever. We're going to be putting stuff out. You have access to that too. You know, I think it's definitely important to make sure that that's the case, but at the same time, you really need to, I mean, you've got to cover all the bases, right? Like you, the people who've bought completely in, you you really, really need to make sure you're taking care of them. The people who bought the game, I think you should certainly make sure you're continuing to at least put something out for, and then in hopes, maybe that can intrigue the people who have been dead set against you from the beginning. Or, you know, they could do like what they did recently with, I think it was a call of duty and just strip out the multiplayer and sell it as a separate game for a cheaper... Oh, that might cause an uprising right there. (laughs) Excellent segue. So Battlefront wasn't the only game uh, or Star Wars franchise game to get an uh, uprising. (laughs) So Star Wars, (laughs) sorry, that's not nearly as funny as I think it is. So Star Wars Battlefront was not the only game to get an update, but also Star Wars Uprising uh, received a, a, I feel like a fairly large update. Not really, but yeah, sort of. How do you feel about this? I haven't had really the chance to explore it too much. I know there's uh-huh. new commando gear. It seems as though there's been a little bit of an overhaul of the interface itself. I mean, it still works the same way, but it feels a little crisper. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds a little better. And from a story standpoint, I mean, I'm again, I'm one of these players that is playing up to the cap every time that they raise the level cap, and it's been. A few weeks since the last time the cap was raised because we kept having sector battles in the wrong place. So it wasn't unlocking new content until just recently. Um, I like where the story is gone. 
we're at the point where it almost feels like the next act is ready to begin, right? We had the act in which they had to find the information that's going to put them on a hit list. And it's all sort of building up that heist to get the info. And then we had this big chunk of basically, okay, well, how do we build a bunch of allies together? And how are those allies going to be able to strike against the empire to make it so that the empire doesn't mess with us, that we're not worth their time, or we're able to basically basically kind of keep them from feeling as though it's worth uh, the resources of going after us. And now we've kind of moved into the next step, which is, okay, well, some of those allies are now imprisoned, and now you need the help of the, of the rebel cell that's already in the sector in trying to find a way to essentially bust them out of prison. There's a couple of interesting twists to make all that stuff happen, but we're on sort of a new segment of the story now, which helps give it some more uh, emphasis. But if you're playing it now, you've got a long way to go to reach that that part, which is one of my things that I had talked about before about how it's kind of a grind to get very far along. And now, you know, maybe days between one story mission and another, just grinding to get enough XP to get there. But now, I mean, this update started with its mission as the mission for level 84. So you have to reach level 84 to even get to the new content, really, that was just released. How I deal with that is I just sort of take my time with it. I I make sure that I don't grind myself out. And, you know, I may, I pretty much hop on every day, but I may not go through and spend a whole lot of time with it. I may just go through and maybe run, like, say, the... um, Oh, I can't remember what's uh, what what's the like a daily mission of some the oppor- kind. The daily opportunity. Yeah, I may just hit that, and then I may just uh, go through and send my crew off to do something, maybe do some upgrades or something along those lines, and then set it down, and then come back later. Um, mm-hmm. so, I mean, that that's kind of how I've been doing it. Now I think I'm only like maybe level. I don't know. I'm gonna throw a number out. I think it's like 64. I could be totally wrong, but I think it's about 64. I'm on Bespin, if that makes a difference. I don't think it does. Um, but you know, I mean, that that's kind of how I handle that. Uh, so for me, yeah, I haven't seen any of of the big changes really that they've done, other than like you said, it definitely has a, a crisper look. It looks different, but then when you think about it, you're like, it's kind of the same. It's more, it's kind of more like they went and they said, well, this was blue before. Let's make it fuchsia now. Mm-hmm. Um, or yeah, they've definitely done that for, for Bespin now has sort of the, there's the regular Bes- Bespin and there's kind of the baby diarrhea color Bespin. Yeah, it's it's different, but it's similar. It's fun. I like it. it. It kind of, I felt like it freshened it up a little bit personally. That that was my thoughts on it. Uh, besides that, now they added the, the, some of the cool things like the vendors. It's less of like selling and more of just a swap, which is nice. So, for instance, if you have, I can't remember the, the different ones. If you've got the purple one, but you need the blue one, then you can swap four of the purple for four of the blue, something along those lines. Holy crap. I haven't seen that. I desperately need to do that. Okay, so that's at the marketplace uh, where you first start out, you know, with, with a little Where you thing. first wind up running away from the Imperials and screw everything up. Yeah, so there, so there's that guy there, um, and, and he can take care of you as far as that goes. There's also over at the spaceport a guy who's like, "Hey, I got random goods. Just you know, take a chance." Um, and then there's also the uh, the guy that they've had that's that does the whole uh, which one? It sells the your little data chips or whatever they are. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but he, I believe he's been in, in the game. And then I was seeing something else about some of the update features that you now can actually sell weapons to the vendor, I believe, which I'm hmm. not, that was when I was just kind of like, cause I, you know, I was just trying to skim through cause there's been so much stuff that's, uh, been hitting for this episode. Uh, so I didn't get to really see much on that, and and it's probably likely that they just didn't go into much detail on it. But I was like, well, that's kind of weird because I can kind of already sell my weapons, so why would I specifically want to sell them to a vendor? All right, so we do have some patch notes here. I can run through these somewhat quickly here. Uh, the summary, though, is probably the main thing, just the main bullets. If you want to know more, you can go to community.kabam, K-A-B-A-M.com and check out their actual patch notes area. But basically, and it was posted on March 7th, if you're looking for it, the summary is that there are three new vendors that are added to the game. One exchanges tier one crystals, one exchanges tier two crystals, the third will change their wares frequently. So that's nice. Act one level design and cinematics have been remade. Wonderful for those of us who are already way past it. Come on, man. Uh, Abilities have been rebalanced and combat controls have been improved. Haven't really noticed much of a change, but okay. Social spaces will now have more players in them. So you can watch people that you don't care about. (laughs) Yeah, I've noticed that one as well. Crystals have been renamed to be more clear. That'll be nice. I haven't noticed that, but that's nice. Uh, All daily opportunities are now three-star and above. And they said many, many bug fixes and improvements. And if you go to the full change list, there's story and missions, ones, crystals, vendors, abilities, enemies, crew, crew runs, supply crane, opportunities, gear, social spaces, and miscellaneous. All And all of those have multiple bullet points under them for changes they've made. This is a major mm-hmm. addition without launching a whole new chapter of the story. Yeah, yeah it's, yeah, looking at it on paper, it's huge, but I, I do have to be honest, in-game, I don't feel like I notice the changes as much. It really feels like a quality of life improvement, as they said. It, it, it said sort of in general quality of life improvements, but I think the whole concept, I mean, even down to being able to exchange crystals, in a sense, that's a quality of life thing. It makes the grinding less grindy. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. And there was something else, too, that I was thinking of. I was like, oh, wow, that, that sort of helps with uh, something you know, so, some of the, the harder, more grindy parts uh, that they had said, but I can't remember specifically which one it was. But yeah, that that's that's huge. The way that they're doing the crystal thing of being able to sort of swap over, break them down, things like that. Um, it makes getting the crystals much easier, much, much easier. And it makes you actually start to really have a choice in your gear because what's happened mm-hmm. up to this point is whatever gear you've got, is basically what you wear if it's the best you've got. And if there's only a couple that you've got and they're kind of equal, well, grab one of them. But it means that all your focus is going to be on certain crystals and the other crystals are going to be completely useless to you. Now, you've actually got something that makes it it all kind of work and you can swap them out as needed. It it, it reminds me of, and I forget where I saw it. I guess it's a meme maybe of, uh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was a meme. It was basically like a, what happens if you've got a matching set of armor but then you find a shield that has way more defensive power and the guy's like all dressed up in awesome gear and then he's got like a Hello Kitty shield, you know. Um, you will not look right. You will not match because you will always be chasing the slightly stronger gear. But at least now you might actually be able to turn that stuff that you like 
into that slightly stronger gear by being able to have a choice in what crystals you have to upgrade things like that. I think that's a another may. I mean, that, that is the big positive change here. There's other ones, but crystal exchange in the words of a particular presidential candidate, it's huge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm going to uh, spend a little more time with it and see, see how I, I feel about the changes once I've, actually started doing some of these crystal swaps and things. No crystal meth, by the way, though. You cannot exchange them for crystal meth. Oh, Just okay. making sure, because I don't know how your part of Georgia is, but sometimes down here it gets a little shady. I heard if I get the blue ones, then I could make a lot of money. And See, candy. I don't even know what that means, but I'm going to say <laughs> yes, sir. That's... It's, breaking bad so all right man well that that's pretty much it for for that uh really the only other thing we've got uh like a small little thing for um for the degeric table so i'll just kind of hit that real quick uh the only thing that we really have is we've just sort of seen the picture for it but one of the upcoming uh, expansions for the Star Wars LCG game is going to have Ahsoka Tano and her, her lightsabers. So Ahsoka is going to be in there. They've actually been adding the Rebels characters in there as well. So we have the the Rebels Ahsoka coming to that. And that's really all I have for the Dejeric table. You got any comments on that, Nathan? Only that I really hope that as they add more characters from animated series into the Fantasy Flight Games games, that they kind of try to make them look realistic without making them look ridiculous because Ezra, no, 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 no. <laughs> I hear you. That's pretty much it. The Vault also, just a, another short segment. Speaking of Ahsoka, even uh, the newest wave is is hitting stores, so be looking out for those. Uh, there's the Rebels, you know, adult version of Ahsoka. We've got Farm Boy Luke. And we have uh, the Kanan as well. What, what, have you seen that Kanan? I'm curious what you what you may think of his likeness. You know, I've only seen it in a few pictures online. I haven't actually seen it in the wild or, okay. or yeah, seen well, it in any this, depth. At this point, it's it's in its rare stage. And uh, Hasbro with distribution, George is rarely one of the... Um, is really one of the the places that gets them first so it'll be a little bit but i was just curious what you might think of the uh what you've seen as far as the online images since you're a little more critical of some of the the depictions of the more realistic characters no, i mean i like the more realistic depictions of characters but if you're gonna make something realistic mm -hmm. make them look like themselves i mean there's a point at which mm -hmm. we know that if you're going to do something in animation it's going to be a little bit stylized so don't take that stylized version absolutely literally when you make a figure based on it or for instance ezra's nose is going to be the basically half of his head it's going to be huge it's going to be huge there you go you did that way better than i did <laughs> I hear you. I'm, I'm just, just busting your chops a little bit. Listen, listen. We have a likeness. We have a likeness, and the likeness isn't great, but we need the likeness to be great again. Fantasy fl Never mind. <laughs> All right. I was going a little bit too far into that. I know, I know. All right, so that wraps this show up, but we'll, uh, we'll continue everything again next week. We, uh, of course, drop every single Tuesday, and if you're wanting to catch that next episode, best way to do that is to go ahead and subscribe on the various podcatchers, which is iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. 
and that way you can get the podcast as soon as it drops. Uh, past that, you can find us on the StarWarsReport.com and also over on uh, Twitter and Facebook, just at Cloud City Casino. I am at Morris Isley on Twitter, but you can pretty much reach me at the uh, at Cloud City Casino as well. Uh, Nate, where, where are the various places that you can be found again? Well, you can find the Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable and Star Wars Beyond the Films, of course, at StarWarsReport.com alongside Cloud City Casino. You can find my YouTube channel. It is YouTube.com slash user slash Chrono Radio. Chrono-like chronology with radio just running straight through as one word. So you'll find uh, from the Star Wars Home Video Library, a guide to Disney Infinity for Star Wars fans, Fantasy Flight Games reviews, and so on and so on. And, of course, my Star Wars Timeline Gold, the most comprehensive Star Wars chronology available anywhere is over at StarWarsFanWorks.com slash timeline. Excellent. And so, you know, the last thing that we've got to do is give a book away. So we have this uh, very nice Ray's Survival Guide that was provided by Jason Fry, which is very nice of him. And he's actually even signed it with a nice little uh, inscription. Send an email to us over at CloudCityCasino at gmail.com. Just throw in the subject line, I want to... Was it? Uh, I want to survive on Jakku. Does that sound? Does that sound good? Does that sound too? Sure, sure. Really? That's mine, all right. Um, yes. Just, just go ahead and put uh, "I want to survive on Jakku" in the subject line, and we'll go ahead and do a little random drawing from that point. Uh, besides that, you can feel free to go ahead and contact us on that uh, by that email. Because we, we've actually been getting uh, a run into our shout-out section here real quick. Shout it, shout it, shout it we've recently got some mail. So one thing was from Brian from the Star Wars Collector. Uh, actually mentioned that uh, if we ever needed help that he could definitely fill in every once in a while. So definitely appreciate that, Brian. And uh, everyone can go check him out at thestarwarscollector.com. Uh, he's got a, a podcast over there. And then, of course, we've been putting out for the for the new segment that we're starting, which is going to be character focus, in which case we will pretty much every week we'll take one small character uh, that, you know, especially something if, if everyone can kind of jump in, tell us who, who you would like, and uh, we'll, we'll take that character and then do a, a focus on it, tell you a little bit about them, where maybe some of their story might be and then quickly kind of give you a couple little highlights of some of the merchandise that's out about that character it's been real scoundrels so uh nate never forget i'm not gonna say it come on just say let the wookie win no no tell you what in honor of our guest go saber cats (laughs) 